Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Election College, Episode 137. Surprise! It's October! Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts... Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, um, you know, usually when you think about getting surprised or spooked or something like that in October, you think about Halloween. Um, At least for those of us here in the United States, that's what you think of. Uh, But there's a little different meaning when it comes to presidential elections and the good old October surprise. Yeah, I'm so glad October is over with. Um, <laughs> I know. I, I love October. I think it's one of my favorite months. But in a presidential election year, my goodness, it just is one day after another of getting spooked. <laughs> and well, it's over now. Happy November. <laughs> yeah. November 1st, here we are. And we're, uh, well, we're not even going to hardly talk about this year's and, you know, all the could be potential. Uh, October surprises that we've experienced so far, because we're a history podcast, and it, you know it's not quite history yet. So there's a great article on Politico about October surprises, and they put together this list of 15 different ones that we're going to go into a little bit of detail on each of them. Okay, so Jason, why don't we just go ahead and travel all the way back to 1840? Ah, I haven't had a shower in weeks. That's what <laughs> I'd be saying if I were in 1840. Right. Woo. So, in the eighteen forty, remember, remember Marty, President yeah. Van Buren, yeah, yeah, Andy Jacks, buddy, uh huh, uh huh, yeah. He's wanting to be president again. I mean, he's he's liked everything that happened during his first term. Figures, hey, why not uh, why. second term? Yeah. <laughs> that that seems to be the thing to do. Go for two terms. So, um, he knows a little something or another about the Whig Party and the Whig Party paid some people to go to New York and vote multiple times. You're not allowed to do that. Yeah. (laughs) So it was a midterm election uh, in 1838. And yeah, the Whigs, they were all about, well, going up to New York, those Pennsylvania Whigs. (laughs) They went up to New York and, you know, once, twice, three times, vote. Nothing wrong with that, right? Well, (laughs) actually, there is something wrong with that. So uh, Marty's uh, Democratic prosecutors, they're all about jumping on them, but they're not going to jump on them until mid-October, right? Because, well, surprise! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so basically, they wait till October to release everything. They wait till October to um, basically say, we're prosecuting them for doing this. And the Whigs are like, no, 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 we didn't do that. We didn't do it. And then one of the people who they paid to do it was like, actually, they did. I, I'm going to admit to it. 
And uh, everybody in the public, you know, the electorate is just like, huh, interesting. Oh, well, well, we're still going to vote for who we were going to vote for before because, you know, that's probably just somebody's tricks that are going on. So Van Buren still loses <laughs> the election and, yeah. uh, you know, holding on to those results to the last minute didn't really help him out as much as he'd hoped. Yeah. So lesson learned, if you're going to prosecute somebody, it may or may not help you if you decide to do that in October. Yeah. Just just saying. <laughs> <laughs> So let's fast forward a little bit to 1880, and uh, many of us still don't have running water. Actually, most of us don't, but um, the country is expanding, right? So we have more rivers to jump into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you've got this letter that was supposedly written by Garfield. And Garfield said, hey, I think Chinese immigration is a good thing. Why not? It's cheap labor. They're coming right here to our shores. Doesn't sound too bad, right? Well, right before this, the Democratic and the Republican platforms, uh, including President Garfield, say, yeah, there should be some restrictions on Chinese immigration. And this letter comes around and it says, you know, Garfield said, go ahead and get labor where you can get it the cheapest. Why not? If that's China, even better. Let's bring them all over. And so this letter basically shows Garfield as being an opportunist and kind of duplicitous. And so the Democrats like shoot out really quickly half a million different copies of this letter. And Garfield's like, I have a problem. I want to defend myself, but I don't know if I can or not. Yeah, he wasn't sure if he wrote the letter or not, (laughs) which I mean – I guess to his credit, it was only three sentences long, but mm-hmm. yeah, it turns out that he didn't write the letter, Ben. Oh, I know. So it's kind of funny though, because it makes you wonder like, did he write a similar letter? Yeah. I just didn't know. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, back then sometimes politicians would maybe write something that they didn't think everybody was going to see. Mm-hmm. And then publicly they would decide that they would say something that sounded more correct to the public. Yeah. yeah. You think that ever happens now? No. That kind of thing has happened in our past. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's move up a few more years. Oh, by the way, um, Garfield, he did end up beating his opponent, but it was pretty close, you know, barely at all. Yeah. So... 1884 comes along just, uh, you know, a few years later after the uh, Garfield incident. And there's a Presbyterian minister named Dr. Samuel Bouchard. And he says, hey, Democrats, you represent rum, Romanism and rebellion. And, you know, for the for us laymen here, um, that's pretty much alcohol. So rum, uh, Catholics, Romanism and the Confederacy, the rebellion, which. That's still kind of a sore spot here in 1884. Yeah. So you remember Grover Cleveland, right? Yeah. I mean, in theory. Yeah. And he was a pretty upstanding guy, right? And so there came something out about him that he had fathered a child. And, uh, you know, he accepted responsibility for that, right? But Cleveland was the Democrats' best chance really after the Civil War of getting anywhere in national politics. 
So Blaine didn't come out and object to what Dr. Bouchard said. And guess what? You have a bunch of Irish voters in New York who come out and vote against Blaine. And that costs him the state of New York. And well, the election too. Yeah. That's pretty big deal. Because think (laughs) about it. It was all about Republicans after the Civil War. And this was Cleveland's chance. And he took it. Yeah, and the the thing that uh, kind of stinks the worst for Blaine is it was something Blaine didn't even say. He was just being polite during a meeting and didn't object to someone so, something someone else said. Now he may have agreed. I'm not saying he didn't, uh, but you know he didn't even say it, and he still got uh, kind of in trouble for it. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So fast forward a few decades to 1912, and you got President William. Howard Taft, who was already kind of in trouble because, well, it's never good to have somebody from your own party running against you and have the other party also running against you. I mean, that's <laughs> never a good idea. And of course, we are referring to our buddy, Theodore Roosevelt, who decides to run against William Howard Taft and Woodrow Wilson. So, one week before Election Day, Taft's vice president, James S. Sherman, he dies. Mm. Yeah. So, there's like three million different Americans who come out and vote for him, uh, the deceased vice president. And you know, they're even like, hey, so this other guy, Nicholas Butler, he's going to run instead. Um, but they all come out <laughs> instead and vote for Sherman. And... The uh, the Taft-Sherman campaign gets eight electoral votes and fails to win the presidency. Uh, so, you know, that's life. People die. Jason, I was listening to a, uh, one of our older episodes a while back. I don't remember why, if I was trying to find a quote or something. And in that episode, we said, yeah, he dies like four times. Um, it was really a sad episode. There were just all these people dying in it. Yeah. I mean, if you're a vice president... And it's the 19th century, early 20th century. It's not looking good for you. Just step aside, step aside. Wait, wait till your man or woman gets elected and become the secretary of state. Yeah. That's just another tip. (laughs) Hey, so 1920 comes along and Warren G. Harding, he's the man. He's about to be elected president. And all of a sudden, someone comes out and says, hey, Harding has Negro blood. And let's look at it here. We currently uh, today have a black president. So it's obviously not a big deal now. But in 1920, you have Negro blood and you want to be the head of the country? I don't think so. So Mrs. Harding hears about it. She cries. She bawls. She wants to be the first lady. So the charge comes from William Chancellor, and he is this racist professor at Wooster College. And, well, Harding's advisors, they're like, yeah, he's not going to do too well in the South if this rumor is true. So they go and try to prove Harding's European ancestry. And, well, they're busy doing that, right? And the Democrats are involved in their own scandal. And it's, well, involving 
FDR. Yeah, he was the assistant secretary of the Navy, and he had authorized this crazy investigation of homosexuality at the uh, facility in Newport, Rhode Island. And, you know, he's got all these guys reporting on who may or may not be uh, a homosexual. And there's like bad methods happening. We won't get into them too deep, but uh, different ways that they're trying to procure this evidence that's just not really polite, <laughs> I guess you could say is the is the best way to put it. Yeah, so Roosevelt learns of what actually is happening at the naval facility there in Rhode Island, and he comes under fire because, well, this didn't seem like it was legit. And there's this guy from Providence who's a newspaper editor. He's like, I'm going to expose, I don't know if expose is a good word for this scandal, but I am going to bring some light on to what FDR has been doing. Um, he alleged that the newspaper editor, uh, John Ratham, he alleges that Roosevelt had allowed 83 seamen who were convicted of unnatural acts to return to duty. And that accusation was without merit. But um, you know what? It didn't really do any good for, well, the Democrats. They lost. And uh, Hoover won. So two scandals all at once. Yeah. Hey, uh, 1940 comes along and FDR, well, we all know he's president. I mean, if it's the 40s and, um, well, if it's like the late 30s, early 40s, the, the president's probably FDR. So he's trying to get into his third term in office, and he comes under criticism from African-American leaders because he's allowing the military to continue to be segregated. And uh, during this time, he's facing Wendell Wilkie, and Wendell Wilkie has a really strong, forward-thinking civil rights platform. Yeah, and so a month before the election— one of FDR's aides, one of his press aides named Stephen Early, he knees a black police officer in the groin. And this happened in New York. And I mean, this is seen as dirty, horrible. And yeah. really as a an example of the double standard that Washington insiders received. And so what does Roosevelt do? In October, he surprises everyone. He promotes Colonel Benjamin Davis Jr. to Brigadier General. And, well, Brigadier General Davis becomes the first African-American to become a Brigadier General. And FDR also creates the Tuskegee Airmen. And a lot of us know about that group of um, military pilots who served so valiantly in World War II. Yeah. So Roosevelt wins. He gets a little over half the popular vote and turns out all right. So 1964 comes along and LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, for those of you who don't know, has an aide and his name is Walter Jenkins and he gets arrested. Some disorderly conduct at the Washington, D.C. YMCA and um, the FBI has a hold of this story. And somebody inside the FBI leaks this story out to the Republican National Convention. So 
pretty much everybody's like, um, what's going to happen? How are people going to react? Uh, LBJ has a staffer who's getting into trouble at the YMCA. And everybody is like, eh, it's cool. Yeah. So, you know, go modern era, I guess, because yeah. LBJ, he doesn't really get phased by this too much because, well, there's some big things happening on the international stage. Um, in the Soviet Union, Premier Nikita Khrushchev, he was ousted from power. And after that, in the UK, the Labour Party wins a majority in Parliament. And China, Communist China, they're starting their nuclear weapons program testing. <laughs> so there's all kinds of um, international activity that's going on that distracts the American people from this episode on the domestic front. And, well... Goldwater, who's running against LBJ in this election, just doesn't win over public affection towards himself in this because, well, there's some bigger fish to fry on the world front. So a few years later, in 1968, William Casey, he's a Nixon aide, he is actually the one who coins the term or is at least credited with October Surprise. He was su suspicious that throughout the 1968 election that Johnson would try to put together a last-minute peace deal in Vietnam in order to get the election to go into Hubert Humphrey's favor. And it turns out, well, Casey was right because <laughs> LBJ announces a stop to the bombing and the beginning of peace talks between Vietnam and, well, I should say between the South Vietnamese and the Viet Cong. And, well, guess what? Humphrey pulls ahead of Republican candidate Richard Nixon for a bit. Yeah, and as you can imagine, Nixon isn't a huge fan of this uh, this turn of events that's happening. And so he finds out, he reaches out to the president of South Vietnam and says, hey, uh, those peace talks that are supposed to be happening, don't worry about that. It's not a really big deal. Uh, but, you know, if Nixon, you know, wins the presidency, you'll get lots of support. It won't just be about uh, political, you know, maneuverings and stuff like that. So... You know, who knows if what he said really helped or not. But three days before the election, the South Vietnamese uh, back out of the peace talks, say they're not going to participate. And then Humphrey loses all his momentum. So Nixon wins. Yeah. Ben, you're trying to tell me that a presidential candidate might actually talk to another world leader outside of the United States and influence an election? I don't. I don't think that's. Nah, that's probably not possible. Could be. Yeah, it's possible. Hey, here's something I have a question about. This has this has nothing to do with the topic at hand. Has there ever been a time in history? So we're seeing on both sides. Or at least let me say this again. We're seeing on the two major sides, both parties accusing the other party of trying to rig an election or influence an election. 
it was always my understanding that part of the election is gathering as much information about the opposing person as you can and exposing it. So, like, how's that different than what's happened in the last 200 years? No comment, Ben. No comment. Okay. All right, moving on to 1972. Uh, Nixon, again, always causing trouble, Mr. Nixon, uh, President Nixon. (laughs) He hasn't really ended the Vietnam War. We're still in it. And, well, there's this breakthrough that's coming along early October. And the North Vietnamese negotiators said, okay, yeah, the whole peace thing you guys are talking about, we're down for that. So Henry Kissinger, you remember us talking about him before, rushes from Paris for a press conference that he's got scheduled. And unfortunately, things start to fall apart during that time he's away. And South Vietnam's like, actually, no, we're not going to accept the agreement. And North North Vietnam is like, "Mm, you don't need more time to persuade them. Sorry. This you're being duplicitous or something. We don't like it. We don't trust it. So we're not doing it. We're we're out. And so Kissinger goes to the press conference anyway and says, "Yeah, peace is at hand. We're good." And the announcement, you know, obviously makes Nixon further ahead in the polls and look better. And so he wins. Yeah, it's always a good idea to go before the press and just speak with confidence. <laughs> That's <the laughs> whether you whether you are right or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, a lot of us will remember this one where in 1980, you have Jimmy Carter, the incumbent, running against Ronald Reagan. And this could be, well, if you're into conspiracy theory, you might grab onto this and not let it go. Ronald Reagan, he's worried that, well, this last minute deal to release American hostages would give Jimmy Carter, the support he needs to win re-election. And just a few days before the Americans go to the ballot, Iran says, we're not releasing the hostages until after the presidential election. So you got all of this going back and forth, like, what is going on? (laughs) Is Carter going to plan... A military operation to get the hostages back. And maybe that will, that show of force will propel him to victory. And then others say that Ronald Reagan talked to the Iranians and proposed a deal and behind everybody's back. And so, well, guess what happens? Reagan wins and Iran holds the hostages until. Right after Reagan gives his inaugural address. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple different probes that, you know, are going into the timing of the incident. And Congress is like, yeah, 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 we'll get to it later. And so they do a couple investigations as well. And they're like, yeah, there's no conspiracy here. We don't, we can't find anything. Um, there are still some people, uh, you know, the Iranian president at the time who says, yeah, there was a secret. Uh, deal with Reagan. So, you know, deal with it. No big deal. I said deal a lot there. Good deal. (laughs) (laughs) See what I did there. Yes. So in 1992, you've got George H.W. Bush. He's running for re-election. And he's got a 
quite a challenge ahead of him because he's got Bill Clinton for the Democrats. He's got Ross Perot, who's running as a Reform Party candidate. And you have this independent counsel named Lawrence E. Walsh, and he indicted Casper Weinberger, who was Reagan's defense secretary, because of all of the events surrounding the Iran-Contra affair. And the Republicans were like, hey, Walsh, you can't do this right before an election. That's not fair. And Walsh is like, hey, I'm just doing my job, right? (laughs) So, what ends up happening is Casper Weinberger is indicted and Bush loses. But as any lame duck president would do, he pardons Weinberger. But that was quite a surprise and may have cost him that election. Hmm. It's weird how history sounds so familiar all the time. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, In 2000, (laughs) you guys remember George W. Bush not that long ago. In 2000, uh, right before the the election is happening, W. and Al Gore are both pretty much tied in the national polls. And uh, that's a whole different story. I'm kind of convinced that the polls are always tied right before Election Day. But anyway, uh, (laughs) the Fox News Channel broke this giant scandal that 24 years earlier, George W. Bush had been arrested for drunk driving in Maine. And... I want to know, first of all, how come, like, nobody reported that if it was such a big deal before, like, a couple days before the election? But anyway, that's a totally different story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The um, the Bush campaign says, yeah, it's so long ago. It's not a big deal. We're not really all that worried about it. But Carl Rove, uh, who was a strategist for the, for the Bush campaign, 10 years later says, yeah, I think it probably cost Bush five states. So – Obviously, you can't prove that it lost him five states. But if it had lost him five states and it hadn't been revealed, that would have been an easy landslide. Um, so, hey, I trust a top strategist, especially somebody as experienced as Carl Rove to make that um, <laughs> announcement. But um, just a little thing like, you know, uh, something you did 25 years ago can really screw with things and put you in a bunch of lawsuits with uh, Al Gore and, you know, the internet revolts. Yeah. So over the last several elections, there have been October surprises. There was the Bin Laden video that may or may not have helped George W. Bush's reelection bid in 2004. And then you've got, of course, the 2008 market crash where, well, McCain's campaign was kind of suffering already, but Obama was looking really good after that crash. And then, well, 2012, you could say that Hurricane Sandy was an October surprise, although I don't know if you can say a natural disaster was an October surprise, but it certainly helped Obama's reelection bid. So anything new under the sun, Ben? I think we've seen it all before, it sounds like. Yeah. So, October, it's over. 
And we are in now in November. A week from today, we will, we might possibly know who the winner of the election is. And possibly if any of these October surprises that we've had this year that we haven't mentioned might have had some influence. So there is a lot of talk out there about, well, do October surprises have that much influence on elections? And Ben mentioned about that DUI charge that George W. Bush had and Carl Rove saying that that could have had an impact on, well, several states. There's a lot of disagreement about October surprises. Some say, well, yeah, it has had influences on some of these elections as much as a couple of percentage points. But um, I don't know. I'm eager to find out to see if any of this year's October surprises will have influenced this year's election. Yeah, and maybe someday in the future we'll talk about them once we understand the full scope of all of those different things. So um, thank you guys for listening. And I know it's early uh, for if you're listening the day this comes out, but don't forget to vote. It is important, not just for the uh, president, but also for your local offices that may be taking votes at this time and for the national votes besides the presidency that are taking votes at this time. So don't underestimate your votes even when it feels discouraging sometimes. Yeah. And today you do have the opportunity to cast your vote. And what I'm talking about there is the Election College Annual Listener Survey. If you go to electioncollege.com slash survey, you can let your voice be known in the future of our podcast. Yeah, we would really appreciate for as many of you as possible to fill out that survey just so we can get a better grip on who you are, what you like, and better help you out. Yeah, and I guarantee you that there will be happy dances all around if you head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It helps us get this podcast in front of more awesome people just like you. One last time, fill out the survey. It's electioncollege.com slash survey, and we will see you next time.